Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School Professor Jessica Levinson, and today we are joined by Dr. Lauren Crosby. Dr. Crosby is a nationally recognized parenting expert and pediatrician. She is certified by the American Board of Pediatrics, a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and an official spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. She is a pediatric expert for television news and serves on the board of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Dr. Crosby is currently in practice at Lapeer Pediatrics in Beverly Hills, California. Welcome, Dr. Crosby. Thank you for passing judgment with us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Dr. Crosby, we are recording this episode at the end of August. A lot of kids are about to go back to school. I know from when we were talking right before we started recording that you are fielding a lot of questions. Can you give us a sense of what some of the most common questions you're getting either from your patients or their parents are right now? Mm -hmm, Definitely. I mean, there are so many, but I'd say the big one is still, should I be sending my kid to school? That's the biggie. Or the others are, why don't the schools have virtual options for your kid if they have to isolate or quarantine? So if your kid's out for 10 days, they just sit home, like they can't join the class. And what else can I do to keep my kids healthy? Those are kind of the big ones. So let's take the last one first, which is, what can I do to keep my kids healthy? Outside of school protocols, are there things that we can do for our kids? I mean, are there vitamins, exercises, mm-hmm. sleep, healthy lifestyle? Is there something that falls outside of the kind of what can schools do bucket? Yeah. I mean, first of all, since there are so many children that need to go to school, but are too young for the vaccine, we need to vaccinate everybody around them. Um, and so I think that's important. And I also think that families need to be careful in their own personal lives because vaccinated people, we are seeing more and more are getting COVID. And though they may be okay, they can certainly give it to their kid who can then infect the school. So I think that's very important as parents kind of need to be a little bit on the very careful locked down mode, the best that they can too. Um, And then still basics like the hand washing is still always important. And getting really good sleep is important. We know sleep's good for the immune system. It's also good for mood. And, you know, you want your kid to be compliant as much as you can get. So if they're cranky and irritable, they may not want to go with the flow as much, including maybe keep their mask on or, you know, even wash their hands. So there's a lot of reasons to get good sleep. Keep those routine vaccinations up to date and keep your checkups up to date. So you can discuss any of these issues with your doctor. But we certainly don't want to have other diseases on top of this, like whooping cough, measles, the flu. So flu shots are coming soon. Everyone needs to get them. If you have picky eaters, we recommend supplements to kids who are picky eaters. We also want to promote gut health with some probiotics potentially. So And lots of green time instead of screen time, right? So moving your body, getting exercise and fresh air. So that can reduce stress, which is not good for the immune system and it can boost mood. So there are some things we can do. (laughs) That's incredibly helpful, like specific things that people can actually do. And all when I understand that when you have specific things you can do, that also helps alleviate your stress because you Mm -hmm. feel like you are actually taking action. And I think the pandemic has caused so many people to just feel powerless because one the virus and two other people's reaction to the virus. And we kind of danced around this, but the 
one of the big questions I assume you're getting, which is we talked about, you know, should I send my kid back to school, which I think is dependent on well, where are you and what does your school look like? Mm-hmm. So the world seems to be divided now between people who are over 12 and eligible for the vaccine and people mm-hmm. who are under 12. So let's start with the under 12 set. Is there a group of best practices where you are satisfied if a school can do these things, then yes, as a pediatrician, you think, okay, understand that there's no zero risk situation, but that's probably as good as it's going to get. I mean, I will just say this. Yesterday, I got a phone call from a family of mine who had to move to Texas because of work situation. And my 10-year-old patient who I've taken care of since birth went to school. There's no masks there. And she got COVID. So her mom called me yesterday and was like, this is my nightmare. I have protected her for a year and a half. We move here. She, she can't be the new kid in school, the only kid there in a mask and the new kid, you know, it would yeah. just, and she got it. So, you know, they aren't careful, right? So, I mean, there's not a big difference really in schools right now between what the under 12s and over 12s need to do because the, the, who knows, you know, we want them all vaccinated for the big kids, but still big difference is really just testing and quarantining. So vaccinate anyone who is eligible around the kids if the kids are too young. We know kids benefit from in-person learning, so we want to get them back safely, but they do need to mask. We are fortunate that it is required here that K through 12 schools do need to mask regardless of vaccination status. We want to keep kids outside as much as possible. We want to make sure they're keeping those masks on in the classroom, which I think is probably a bit of a difficult task, especially for kids who are back in school and over the year and a half never had to go to school and wear a mask. So they're not quite used to being in it. Um, Physical distancing, the more the merrier, three feet at least. They should eat outside. They should be spaced apart. They, you know, there's all of those things that we have talked about that we know can really help. We want testing. I think it's important to test a minimum of once a week right now in the schools. Um, We want good ventilation and we want to make sure kids know what people keep their kids home if they're sick and the teachers are listening and they're hearing coughing and sniffling. You got to get them out of there, you know? Yeah. And, and so much of this, as you know, um, keeping kids three feet apart when they're Mm -hmm. in a school environment is really difficult. And, and at a certain point, I assume, uh, I know you're a parenting expert and a child development expert that at a certain point, how many times can you yell at a child, like stay away from your classmates because it could be incredibly dangerous to your health before you're, um, potentially causing a different type of problem. Exactly. No, it's very, very true. And that's why outdoors, you don't have to worry as much about that. Even if they get close together, it still is much better outside. So would you suggest, we're both in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. The I think we've been very lucky and not just based on luck, but I think based on policies that our, our politicians have implemented that we're mm-hmm. not in the Texas situation that you just mentioned, we're not in the Louisiana or Florida situation, mm-hmm. at least not yet. And we hope we never get there. If those protocols are in place, I know that you can't make the ultimate decision for mm-hmm. any family. And I know that they all want you to make that ultimate decision for you because then they can say, well, I defer to my, uh, my expert. I defer to my trusted mm-hmm. pediatrician. Then do do you say basically if you understand the risks and the school is mm-hmm. doing those things, then 
at least it's a rational decision to send your child back? I do. I mean, if there's no protocols, then of course we'd be like, nope, don't go. But that's right. like in the South, like you said. So here, but you know, and some schools are, are, are really trying, but I think the bigger school districts, it's so much harder because you not only have to control the kids and make sure they're testing, but again, their families have to be compliant and not send them to school. I had a, another parent contact me today because a sibling of a kid with COVID they didn't have her result back, but she was sick and they sent the sibling to school. And guess what? Both kids have COVID. So if you have a sibling who's sick, don't send any of the kids in the household to school until you know what that sibling has, you know? I, I feel like this is a cultural shift that we have mm-hmm. to create where one, and I just, I saw this on a personal level where kids before COVID the parents would say, well, I have to work or mm-hmm. I just need a break and I'm sure my kid is fine. So I'm, yes. you know, I'm paying for preschool or daycare or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So I'll send them and it's fine. And then all of a sudden you've taken out an entire family with some mm-hmm. really unpleasant virus again before COVID. And so that's one cultural shift. And then I think another is we seem to prize this idea of, well, I came to work anyway. I really Mm -hmm. wasn't okay, but I just, I pushed through because I care so much about, you know, X, Y, Z. I care so much Mm -hmm. about my job. I know this is not directly your, your wheelhouse, but are there other, you think, kind of foundational assumptions that we just need to change or ways that we can tell people, no, actually the thing to be respected Mm -hmm. is to, to stay home. If, if you, can. I mean, if it's anything other than you won't be able to eat tonight, you, you mm-hmm. really need to protect the rest of us yeah. and yourselves. It's true. No, it's really true. I mean, I think that some of that has been driven home a little bit more because of the pandemic. People are like, you're sick, don't come in. You're sick, don't, you know, don't come in. And we're really, really trying. But I mean, it used to be, oh, it's just a cold. Eh, I don't feel that bad. Right. And people would work. I mean, some, most people would. And kids would go to school with colds all the time. We didn't keep them home, you know? Oh, it's good for the immune system. They get exposed to all these germs. But this is such a different animal that we have to handle it in a different way. And now we bring kids into the office if they've had a run, if they have a runny nose. We didn't, and they were, even if they're acting fine, we never did that before, you know? Because we want to test them. Right. It is a new world. And I'll get to... I feel like there's a dividing line also that we'll get to in terms of the vaccine, Mm -hmm. but we are Mm -hmm. where we are. And outside of the school situation, I know there are, you know, people want to get back to after school sports. They want to get back Mm -hmm. to if they haven't already. And it seems like many, many people have play dates or family gatherings. Are there some general goalposts? Um, You talked about parents being vaccinated. I assume that the same really holds true for any kind of guardian or caretaker around Mm -hmm. a child. Yes. But are there other ways, um, you know, if you have a patient who says, um, well, my kid's having trouble making friends at school. I think we should Mm -hmm. set up some play dates or Mm -hmm. it might be great, you know, community building, if they can join the soccer team, mm-hmm. are there some things that we should keep in mind in terms of risk assessment? Well, there are. And I mean, just this week, LA County updated rules for youth sports. So they're going to be doing weekly COVID-19 testing. 
that's going to be required for many, many sports. And now they're going to require masks at all indoor sports events with, you know, very few exceptions like water sports, you know, like water polo and things like that. So that's, I think, going to be really helpful. And also, so they're saying, you know, for high risk or moderate risk sports, weekly testing. So basketball, football, you know, there's a lot of things, martial arts, wrestling, they're up close and, you know, everything, anything they're doing inside and in general. So, and the spectators and the coaches and everyone's going to be required now to wear face coverings when indoors and they should have for a while, but they weren't required. So now they are. So I think that's going to be very, very helpful. A lot of the spread in youth sports is when they're on the sidelines or when they're carpooling to and from or hanging out before or after games more than during the games if they're outside. So again, outside sports are better, but I think that this is going to be good. At least they're going to be requiring some testing now for sports. I think that will help. So a lot of our listeners are not in LA County. Do you Mm -hmm. think that what LA described is a, maybe not a gold standard, but is it at least a bronze standard in terms of reasonable protocols? Yes, definitely. You have to, you have to have some kind of protocol. And I think that this, that this is good. And I think that a lot of them will be requiring a negative test within 48 hours of like a competition and they have to have the results or they can't compete. And I'm hoping that will also then motivate them again, that they have to be more careful in their personal lives so they don't bring it to the team. And then the team, let's say, gets it. And then they're out of the competitions too. So people need to be responsible and it's hard. Yeah. It's well, it's hard. I think also because people have been told just hang on for, and it feels like an ever changing Mm -hmm. time period, just hold on for, you know, at first it was what, eight weeks, 12 weeks, Mm -hmm. probably a year, but, Mm -hmm. um, and, and now of course, and that year was set by the, when we could potentially make vaccines. And then it was, well, maybe 18 months to make and manufacture the vaccines. And that probably brings us to this next question, which is you have a good percentage of your practice who are not only eligible for the vaccines, but now eligible for the boosters. So the 12 Mm -hmm. to 15 set are eligible for the boosters under emergency use authorization. The 16 plus set is as of the time we're recording this episode, eligible under full FDA approval. What do you say to, I'm sure you're getting this question a ton now, which is, you know, a quote unquote healthy, um, 12 plus year old, uh, six or eight months out, is it time for their booster? Right. So right now, the only patients of ours where the booster is really recommended are the ones that are immunosuppressed 16 and up. Um, and I have a couple who are, so they will be getting the booster, but they haven't actually, you know, the, they're not quite considered eligible really for the booster yet. The American Academy of Pediatrics is not recommending it yet for the, for the younger ones, though I think it it will be. And I think that we're going to be recommending it. (laughs) Um, so I think we're getting there with the booster for that age, but it's really for adults and then immunocompromised youngers to get the booster first. Um, so I think, you know, for those who have been vaccinated, hopefully the 12 to 18s, they just need to get their first set of shots, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're, we just need to get them vaccinated. I'm not so worried about the booster for them. I'm worried about getting their primary series of the two vaccines. So 
that I think is really important. And of course, they should not be hanging out with unvaccinated friends, which has been a problem too. So this, that group, that 12 to 18 group has just, every data point I look at indicates that they're not anywhere near as vaccinated as they could be. That if you look at the percentages for, you know, the 12 to 18, it's so different from the 65 plus, obviously, because, and I think part of this is at the beginning of the pandemic, the messaging was, this is an old person's problem. Um, Right. Right. So is there something that you say to your patients or, and, or their parents where they say, well, I'm, but I'm worried about, I read about heart inflammation or my Mm -hmm. kids, you know, my kid's pretty healthy and uh, the numbers look okay. Is there something that you say to them, maybe in addition to, it really is a moral imperative to do this as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we talk about that a lot, that it's not, you know, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated now. And that's what I've been saying. I think a lot of people are saying the same thing, right? Most children with, you know, COVID-19, they often have mild symptoms, but yet we are seeing now that the hospitals in the South are being overwhelmed because it's spreading like wildfire, including the pediatric parts of the hospital, the pediatric ICUs, the pediatric wards. So kids are getting sick, plus they're off. Some of them are getting double viruses because a virus called RSV is going around now that normally we see in the fall and in into, you know, early spring, um, more winter virus, so to speak. So some are having this double illness on top of it where they have COVID and RSV, which is a respiratory virus, especially worse on younger kids and and infants. But, you know, it it can affect you. I mean, there's been over, you know, over 4.5, 4.8 million kids who've had COVID. We've had 4,000 kids who've had that MISC, which is the inflammatory syndrome from it. And we've had about, we've had over 400 kids die from COVID. So, you know, some people are like, oh, that's not that many, but yeah, but it is if it's your child. So why don't we help everybody and keep everybody well? And, you know, people need to care and they need to take it seriously in in the children as well, because now the children are open to be the ones who get it and then spread variants, right? So because they're not vaccinated, we can get, we can get more variants because of it. And then, We'll have to make all new vaccines for those and just keep going in a circle. So we need to get everyone vaccinated. It it seems to me that there's like a two prong approach to explaining to people that they need the vaccine. It's, it's Mm -hmm. one, it's a, it's a selfish thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it will, it will protect you. We still um, don't, or I don't know uh, with with my law degree, I certainly don't know about long-term COVID with respect to kids. And also if you think about any multi-generational household or any situation where you're really in anything other than a, a total isolation or lo- lockdown, we now know that kids can spread, particularly the Delta oh. variant. Mm-hmm. And so I think I don't know how to appeal to people both in their selfish and selfless sides, right. but it, it does seem like that's what we should be doing. Right, right. And, and you know, the, the cases of myocarditis, let's say, which was found to be a rare potential side effect from the COVID-19 vaccine, usually in males, usually under age 34, um, it's still super, super rare. Myocarditis from COVID is much more common than myocarditis from the vaccine. So I think that I do tell people that a lot. I wish people would say that one sentence more because mm-hmm. it feels like people think it's just 
a question of risk from the vaccine. And that's mm-hmm. not, that's just not a reality. It's risk from the vaccine or risk from what is an increasingly likely exposure to COVID. And, and it seems to me that every medical professional would say to you, the risk from the vaccine is far, far less. Far, far less. And again, you know, I also tell people who's in the hospital. No one's in the hospital because they had a, a reaction to the vaccine. They're in the hospital because they didn't get the vaccine, you know? I was going to talk about this in a minute after we talk about the timeline for mm-hmm. vaccines for the 12 and under, but I think we're kind of circling around it, which is, it seems like there's a messaging problem in our country. Um, mm-hmm. And if you were to advise um, maybe the the FDA or or the Biden administration in terms of how can we try to well, you know what needs to be done. I mean, so how can we get to this gold standard that you've described? We're never going to get exactly there because of human uh-huh. behavior and uh-huh. because it's just it's just hard to constantly be this vigilant and it's exhausting. But uh-huh. but it does seem like our policymakers have really fallen flat in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, politics sadly got in this is science and this is health. There's no politics that should be in this. It's not political, you know? And that's why I, I, that whole thing became political. And once it, once that happened, we're done. It just messed everything up, you know? Have you ever seen this in, I mean, you've been practicing medicine for 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to mention, I mean, for me, that's actually very comforting because um, I always feel that I don't, no offense to new doctors, but I want somebody who's seen at least a couple of things once who can say, no, 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 I know how this plays out. Um, have you ever seen the politicization of science this way? Never, never, ever. It's disgusting, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to drag you into a <laughs> political conversation, but it does seem mm-hmm. to me that as a medical professional, you must just be exasperated because you know what to do to protect your patients and, mm-hmm. um, and they're being fed misinformation and disinformation. No, they make decisions on the vaccine for their teens without even asking me. And I'm like, you didn't ask me, why are you listening to your friends on Facebook? Why are you listening to pol- politicians? Why don't you ask your doctor who's known your kid for 15 years and you for 15? You know, you trusted me with all those other vaccines. You know, you trusted me with everything else, you know, but you didn't ask my opinion on this. It's not really an opinion. It's actually science and fact, you know? Right. Right. I mean, that's, um, there's just this really, it's so dark, but there's this, you know, joke going around that you won't trust your medical professionals with respect to the vaccine, but you will take something intended to, you know, deworm animals yes, because you read about it on social media. And oh, yeah. um, that's apparently um, where we are, but I do want to try and give people a little bit more, maybe hope or information. There's a lot of parents of, the 12 and under group who I think are collectively holding our breath uh, until the vaccine is approved um, for younger kids. Do you have a sense of the timeline? Again, we're recording the episode at the end of August, Mm -hmm. just to kind of remind listeners, do you have a sense of what we're going to be looking for in the next few months? 
Yeah, I mean, we are still hearing, nobody really knows for sure. We're hearing late fall, maybe, maybe early winter. It's unclear. And some are saying, oh, it'll be sooner for the 5 to 11-year-olds for the EUA. Um, and that's kind of the next group I think that it will be available for is the 5 and up. So they'll probably be next. And I'm hoping it's not more than a month away, but we just really don't know. I'm, I'm sure so many other people keep constantly refreshing certain sources. And what I've seen is basically Pfizer is going to give their initial data by the end of September, then the FDA um, reviews it. Hopefully that doesn't take as long as it could. I know that a number of pediatricians, um, and I assume you included, have basically urged the FDA to try and look at this um, with the understanding that we are in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And with the understanding that we know that all we need really, because any of the vaccine side effects that showed up, showed up before two months after. So if they have couple months of good data, it really is sufficient. And, you know, and it's going to still be followed up anyway. I mean, you know, my husband and I volunteered last August, September. And so we're on the Moderna study. And so we were some of their, you know, people on the study being tested all the time in our antibodies and getting their first vaccine. Um, And I know how careful they are. And the follow up is amazing. And I hear from them every week. And I talk on the phone every month. And they're really they take it seriously. And I think, you know, we've got to have enough data by now. So hopefully we can get there soon. And um, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but you're part of the study. Will you be after the eight months? Will you avail yourself of the booster? Oh, yeah, for sure. My husband wanted it yesterday. He can't wait for his booster. But we we don't want to break the rules because we're on their study for two years. And so, you know, they need our blood as is before it's boosted, before they give us a booster. So when I go back in October, I'm hoping they give me one. Uh, I I hope so as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, as we end the substantive part of the interview, is there anything that you just feel like is getting lost in the conversation? I think we've probably given your main points, but is there one thing maybe you wish that you could have the the FDA just message more clearly as people are just grappling with the second year now of, of what feels like an intractable pandemic? I, th- I think it's got to be an amazing PR campaign. It's really PR now because you know, those who focus on certain TV stations and news and even certain friend groups, they're kind of all closed off to some of the other information. So it's got to be sort of commercials where everyone's going to see them and billboards and like all and people who those people would at least listen to for a second. If it's like everyone's favorite celebrity something, I think it's got to be the most amazing PR campaign ever, really, because it's not just up to the FDA. It's like, because of politics, we've got to really push, push this campaign. You know, it's a public health emergency. Everyone needs to do their part. You know, everyone's so worried about global warming, right? Or they're worried about this, or they're worried about smog, or they're worried about, well, this is our bigger threat right this second. You know, the imminent threat is this global pandemic. So everyone can do their part pretty easily by at least getting the vaccine. And this allows us to close with one of the themes of the podcast, which is this problem of getting the truth to people and having people understand that that is, in fact, the truth. And 
Dr. Crosby, our listeners have learned a lot from you. And now, as promised, I'm going to ask if we can learn a little bit more about you. I end this podcast by asking my guests the same three questions. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully this will be a slight mood lift for people after we talked about the real frustration of so much of what we're dealing with. So first, which famous person, dead or alive, would you want to invite to a dinner party and why? Okay. So I thought about this a lot because I'm like, fame is a relative term. <laughs> Famous yes. to who, right? Famous to who? So he, okay. So I, people might think this sounds strange too, but I'm, I'm actually going to say my ex-father-in-law because he was my father-in-law for 20 years and we were very close. I met him when I was 22 years old and, um, he was a songwriter. He had a 1974 number one hit that I still hear wherever I go, including in Trader Joe's. And um, he was a musician. He was smart. He's a UCLA grad and he majored in English and minored in Spanish. And he was a songwriter. He played the piano. He's amazing. He was always the life of the party. He would bring a song flute out if we had like family dinners. He was a wonder. He's, and he's, he's in his nineties. He's not doing well right now. I am in touch with them. And um, anyway, he was fun. He was lively and he was always comforting. So I would say Wally. <laughs> I I love that answer. Actually, when we interviewed uh, David Rothkoth, a professor of international relations and a journalist a long time ago, he said, you know, I don't want to meet somebody famous. I want somebody I actually know. And I already know I love spending time with them. And mm-hmm. and the listeners are going to wonder, what is that song? Mm-hmm. It's Rock the Boat from 1974. Um, number one. Next time we are all either in front of YouTube or Alexa or in a Trader Joe's, I will recommend that the listeners call that up. Um, Next question. You're going to be stranded on a desert island and you can bring one meal. What is it? Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) Oh, that's a very family friendly answer for a pediatrician. I love that though. I do. And my husband's like, I don't like turkey. And one of my sons is like, I don't like turkey, but I'm like, I do. And I like it with all the fixings. And I love a good, hearty, comfort food Thanksgiving dinner. Now, you get one superpower for one hour. What (laughs) is it and why? This was hard. I have to say this. Um, I actually really think flying for two reasons. One, because it's Los Angeles and traffic is horrible. Horrible, yes. (laughs) Now again, like it wasn't and it was like dead streets like a year ago, but now it's back to horrible. And two, because I just think it would feel like fun and freeing, you know, for an hour to just float around. We must just all feel so earthbound because I think that's our most common answer. And it makes, it makes so, particularly now when we're not only stuck here, you know, without flying, Mm -hmm. but we're largely stuck in, in smaller places than we used to be. Um, Dr. Lauren Crosby, thank you for passing judgment with us. Thank you. You can follow Dr. Crosby on Instagram at Dr. Lauren Crosby, Twitter at Dr. Lauren Crosby, also on Facebook and YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica. We know that this was a little step out of our ordinary episode, but I got a lot of questions answered that I've been really wondering about. I know that this is on the minds of a lot of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we wish everybody a great day.